What's wrong with you? That's a troubling question, especially if it's asked with that tone. What's wrong with you? You could say that in a way that expresses concern, but um, you can also express that in a way where you feel the contempt, where you feel the judgment, the, the sense that, that you, you are other, that you are not accepted, that you don't belong. If the research is right, almost everyone in this room is experiencing that sense of not belonging in some area of their life or will be soon or have recently. It could be at school, as we often, you know, in high school especially, feel kind of on the outside and like we don't belong, but that also carries on into adulthood, into workplaces, into our neighborhoods, even in our families sometimes we feel like we don't belong. It could be that that you're experiencing uh, prejudice, that, that you are judged because of who you are. It could be that you're experiencing imposter syndrome where you, you don't believe who you are and are, are waiting for people to find out that, that, that you aren't who they think you are, uh, that you just don't belong, that you are not accepted. In the early chapters of Mark, Mark's gospel, that's essentially, the, it seems to me, the experience that Jesus has. Uh, again and again in these first couple of chapters of Mark's gospel, he hears this question phrased in numerous ways, but the same underlying question of what's wrong with you? Why do you speak like that? Why do you eat with them? Why are your followers breaking the law? Why aren't you doing what everyone else is doing? And our passage today is in Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. And that's the question that's asked of Jesus. Why aren't your followers doing what everyone else is doing? And as usual, Jesus gives a really interesting answer that addresses not only uh, the, the issue of fasting, which is the presenting problem, that there are people fasting and Jesus' followers are not fasting, but it also addresses being different and uh, our priorities and how we understand what, the ways that we should, in fact, be different as followers of Jesus. So if you would please read with me Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. This is God's Word. John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And they came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, While the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. And no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth 
on an old garment. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear results. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and the skins as well. No, one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. This is God's Word. Lord, would you meet us here today, we pray. Transform our hearts by opening our eyes, our ears, all of us, to your Word, to your will, to who you are, that we might know you. We pray you would do that. In the name of Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit, working with your Word, in Jesus' name, amen. So the context for this question to Jesus about why are your disciples not fasting is that two of the most well-regarded and committed, devout religious groups of his day are fasting. The followers, the disciples of the Pharisees and the disciples of John. Those are two very influential groups that everyone looked at as, hey, they know what it's like and they follow the Lord and they're very committed. And that showed itself in various religious duties and activities like fasting. We're not sure in the passage what the particular fast was that they were engaging in. They, the only actually commanded fast in scriptures is the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16, once a year. Uh, yet by this time, the people of God had developed uh, several habits of fasting, other feast days and fast days. But there was also this uh, routine that it seems to be many devout and committed followers of the Lord engaged in of fasting regularly. In fact, in Jesus' uh, critique of uh, those who are righteous in their own eyes over in Luke 18, he says that the Pharisee went up to the temple to pray and said, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I fast twice a week. And he listed many other accomplishments, many of his achievements, many of his merit badges uh, before the world in the uh, way that Pastor Dave expressed in the kids' message a moment ago. That there was... uh, a tendency to pile on religious duties and achievements like merit badges. That's a very good illustration of what was happening. That, that, that religion was not so much about a relationship with the Lord and how you get closer to Him, but about all of your own achievements and all the wonderful things you've done before other people to impress them. And so when these two groups, and it's actually, it could be a third group, it seems like the, the they in our passage isn't necessarily the Pharisees or the followers of John because they speak of those two groups in the third person. Why do those groups fast and you don't? But, so it's not clear who's asking, but whoever it is <clears throat> is asking this question is asking essentially, you guys, what's, what's up with what you're doing? What, what's wrong with you? You're not doing what all the committed religious people are doing, Jesus. Your followers are not fasting. 
And Jesus answers with three word pictures, three metaphors. And the first part of his answer revolves around timing. On the surface, he says, essentially, I'm here with them and it's not the time for fasting. It's a time for joy. He puts it this way. While the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom, or, or really the, the friends of the groom, uh, more literally, cannot fast, can they? So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they, they cannot fast. Weddings back then were a big deal, lasting many days and full of celebration and joy. It was not the time when people would go, no, I'm not, I'm not going to eat. I'm, I'm fasting right now. It was ridiculous. Jesus said that just no one does that. This is the time of celebration. So his answer, his first part of his answer is basically, I am here. And if I'm here, it's time to find joy. He's making himself implicitly, almost explicitly, the source of joy. And that's really the first mark of, of differentness that Jesus encourages us to, especially in this passage, is to, to find joy in Him. To be different by finding joy in Jesus. Just being with Jesus should make us have joy. Peace, contentment. You know, no matter what's going on around us, we should experience joy. But very often we don't. And we might even know that in our heads, but we don't find joy. And I, I wonder if, you know, even reading this passage, if, 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 if you kind of think of your religious life and, and what church life ought to be and what a Christian is based on those kind of practices, the the fasting and the praying and the worship and the giving, like that that's all of the things that you have to do to be in a relationship with God. What Jesus is saying is that that's backwards. That those things flow out of a relationship with God and that what God wants and what God gives and what's available through Jesus is first of all just joy being with Him. And that comes just from being with Him. That not, you know, fasting so you can be with Him, but just being with Him. And that's hard for us to embrace. Right? That's not the particular way, historically, that we think about religious activities and duties and those kind of things. Right? We think about all of the things we have to do. Or we're just thinking about other things which is probably the bigger problem. That we, we don't find joy with Jesus because we're doing what everyone else does. We're working really hard uh, to provide for our family and, and to be secure and build our savings. Or, you know, we're playing really hard to enjoy life and have some pleasure. Or we're working really hard to achieve and, and earn those merit badges of one form or another so that we can have some status and honor and esteem. And what happens is we don't experience joy with Jesus. We wind up doing a bunch of things for Jesus. 
And the priority is always going to be with Jesus so that you can do for Jesus. To, to be with Him first. That that's the priority. And, and you won't experience that joy until you become different in that way. Until you prioritize Him. Even when that puts you at odds with everyone else. Because you're different. That's the biggest difference we ought to have is that we're finding joy in Jesus. That we're being with Jesus and being satisfied by that more than we're satisfied by our work or our bank account or our investments or our rewards or our, our awards or our house or our car. It is that with Jesus reality that ought to bring us the biggest joy. Because Jesus brings us good news. There's nowhere else that you're going to hear the good news that Jesus offers. Nowhere else you're going to hear that there is forgiveness available. That, that it's a celebration. That, that you are welcome. No matter what your life has been like. No matter what's been going on. No matter how bad you've messed it up. No matter how many times you've heard what's wrong with you. Or been excluded or cast out or unwelcome. Jesus is saying, you are welcome with me. That you are accepted with not only Jesus, a man on earth, but with God Himself through Jesus. That's the message because that's in fact where this book of Mark has been, right? It started off with Jesus declaring the good news. Mark 1.1, 1, 1, Mark 1.14 and 15. The Jesus now in the passage right before ours today, in verses 13 through 17, speaks of forgiveness. That he's eating and drinking with tax collectors. He's hanging out with those people. Why are you hanging out with them? Because God accepts them through the free offer of forgiveness if they're willing to hang out with Jesus. That's the admission price. To be different. To be with Jesus. He clears the table, really, in this passage of, of all the misconceptions we have about earning favor with God. Doing things for God. And Jesus says, and this is the thing for us in particular, is that it's really destructive if we try to keep all of those kind of merit badge, achievements, all those uh, other ways, those other priorities, and have Jesus too. That it's super destructive. That that, that, that doesn't work. Things, as he says, will tear. Like an a unshrunk piece of cloth on, a, on an old garment, right? You put it on there, you sew it on, right? And you put it through the washing machine. They didn't have washing machines, but you get the idea, right? That, that patch is what? It's going to shrink. That's what happens with the unfulled, unwashed cloth. And what happens is it then pulls away. The stitches pull on the garment and you get a bigger hole, a bigger tear. When you have wineskins, you know, the, the fermentation process of wine causes gas to be released. And if you put new wine, which is very much active, giving off gas, if you put that in an old wineskin, it's going to burst. And you're going to lose not only the old wineskin, but you're going to lose the wine. That it's so destructive to think that you can have Jesus 
and any other form of priority or way of getting right with God. That it's just with Jesus. He calls you to find joy in Him, and that has implications. And really, it's clarifications. Because I would make the case that this has always been the way God operates. But it's in the coming of Jesus that it becomes super clear. In fact, it becomes clear as we talk about something like fasting, which is the presenting problem in our passage. Fasting. We talked about this a lot last year. We had that series uh, in, early in the year about spiritual fitness, of, getting, you know, of God's grace on purpose. And I don't want to rehash that too much, but I, I would put it this way. The essence of fasting is pausing what is good to pursue what is best. That the essence of fasting is pausing what is good, which is, you know, food primarily, but other things would, would fall in that category. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a sec. To, to pursue what is best, which is a relationship with God. To prioritize God over something that is good. Jesus fasted in the wilderness, Luke 4, 1-4, right at the beginning of his ministry, setting aside and prioritizing God in the midst of temptations. The early church fasted when they were selecting missionaries before and, and after sending them out, elders as well, Acts 13, 1-3, Acts 14, 21-23. But, but fasting was also very much prone to abuse, as one of those achievements. Matthew 6, 16 to 18, Jesus talks about that. Where Jesus basically says that fasting is primarily about your relationship with God. So look normal. Don't act like you're fasting. Don't go around, oh yeah, you know, I'm sorry, I would love to play with you guys, but I'm fasting, I'm kind of weak. You know, don't find ways to slip it in and get your reward horizontally. Focus primarily, prioritize God. That that's the essence of fasting. It's about a relationship with God being your priority. Fasting is viewed positively in the Old Testament. We don't see much of it until uh, the Exodus <clears throat> when Moses fell down before the Lord fasting and praying as the people sinned at the golden calf asking the Lord for forgiveness. The Lord Himself instituted a fast on the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16. We see other incidents of fasting. David mourned and fasted over the death of Saul and Jonathan. He fasted as he grieved the impending death of his illegitimate child through the sin with Bathsheba. Ahab, wicked King Ahab, humbled himself and fasted repenting of his sin. There's a sense as you go through the Old Testament and survey it with fasting that it's linked with mourning that is grieving, sorrow uh, over someone's loss, you know, death, that kind of thing, but also over sin and brokenness. It's also in there uh, for direction and for guidance in an uncertain world of calling out to the Lord, prioritizing the Lord, saying, Lord, I'm dependent upon you. You're more important to me than food. Lead us. Forgive us. Heal us. Comfort us. There's nothing wrong with fasting directed toward God, acknowledging dependence on God. 
pausing something good to pursue the best. And food, in particular, is a great thing to pause, to prioritize God, to remind yourself that He's the most important. You know, God, I, I just realized this recently, I was reminded of it actually, that uh, you know, the first command in the Bible, the first command in history was about food. God said, don't eat that fruit. Therefore, what? The first temptation was about food. Satan comes along and says, oh, you're not going to die if you eat that. And the first sin when Eve and Adam took of that fruit and ate is about food. But also, the consequences were about food. God judged the serpent and said, you shall eat dust on your belly the rest of your days. God cursed the man and said, you shall eat in pain bringing forth from the cursed ground through the sweat of your brow. That there is then the ultimate barring from the tree of life. That all that is related to food. Genesis goes on to then, in, in, in the book of Genesis, to talk about famines. That that was a huge factor in the early patriarchs of trying to just eat. Food was the focal point of a lot of the grumbling as God delivered His people from Egypt as they grumbled about not having anything to eat. And then they grumbled about the miraculous provision of manna that God gave them. And that's all that they had to eat. And then that they wanted meat. And God gave them a ton of meat. And they were complaining that they had so much meat to eat that, that this all centered on food or the lack of food. We're dependent upon food. Food is that significant, that central. And I, I wonder how often you think about that just day to day. We're in a pretty comfortable society where most of us have enough to eat. Not all of us, but most of us have food in the, in the refrigerator. We, 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 we know where we can get food. We, we know that people will help us out, that there are things for us to eat. We're dependent upon food. It's significant, and, and that's why it's so telling that Jesus would say, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Luke 4, 1-4. He's quoting Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. That as, poor, as important as food is, Jesus says to the devil to get him to stop tempting him, that there is something more important than food. And it is my relationship with the Lord. My focus on the Lord, prioritizing God. And so, the, the, um, the focus of fasting then is to say, I'm going to pause this good thing. And usually that would be for the daylight hours. If you search through the Scriptures, most of the fasts that are talked about tend to be just for the day. They fast until sundown. Uh, there are some miraculous, extraordinary fasts like Jesus fasting and Moses fasting that tend toward 40 days. There are a couple that are a little longer, a couple two, three days, Esther and the, and the challenging situation there. 
But most of the fasts are shorter, even a day, and they serve that purpose of saying, Lord, I'm depending upon you to forgive my sins. Lord, I'm depending upon you to give us direction. Lord, I'm depending upon you to comfort and heal in the midst of this great loss I've experienced. The Lord, I'm not eating. And, and there's, a, there's a give and take there, right? Like when we are really grieved by something, we aren't hungry. Ask anyone who's lost a spouse that they will go through a period where they just don't feel like eating. That that's, that's part of grieving. And there's a sense where not eating, we experience that grieving. That those things are, are linked together. It's like if you smile, research says you will feel happier. It's just the way we're wired. If we fast, we will feel sadder. So we can engage in those things. And that's the, the thing to recognize in this is that, that fasting, giving up food perhaps for a daytime hours even, is, is good. But it's most important to recognize that the reason for that is not to build your self-discipline. It's not to lose weight, obviously. It's, it's to say, you know what, I'm going to depend upon you, God. I need to remember that. And I want to remember that. And so I'm, I'm going to fast. And, and by that, you know, you can extend that to other areas of life where you say, well, I'm going to give up this good thing. You know, it really doesn't count to give up bad things, right? Okay. So just don't say I'm going to give up this particular sin, uh, Lord. That, that, you should give that up anyway. This is pausing a good thing to say, Lord, every time I'm tempted to that or remember that or want to gauge in that, I'm going to remember you. I'm going to prioritize you. Not to show you how wonderful I am, but to remind myself and build my relationship with you. That, that I'm going to prioritize you, Lord, in this season. I'm going to give up a good thing to pursue the best thing. And if we bring that back to our passage, okay, all of that, to bring it back to our passage, where what's that then different with now Jesus? What Jesus is saying in this passage is, if I am with you, you don't need to fast. You need to celebrate. When, when I am with you, you're, you're not going to want to fast. You're going to want to celebrate. When, when I am with you and you're experiencing that forgiveness, that joy, that contentment, you don't need to fast. You know, in other words, if, if you have a really healthy, vibrant, vital relationship with Jesus, don't feel guilty that, that you don't feel like fasting. You still might choose to, but by no means feel guilty. If you're feeling like, I'm, you know, the Lord is just not present in your life, then that is maybe a, a time to fast and to say, Lord, I, I want you in my life. I don't, I'm not experiencing you. I want to prioritize you. You're important to me. That might be a season to fast. That might be a time to say, Lord, I, I want to refocus on you, to reprioritize you. You know, the challenge is to avoid the misunderstanding and the wrong motives and to fast, denying a good thing to prioritize the best thing, your relationship with God. There is nothing more important than that. Is that relationship with God that will make you truly different? It is that relationship with God that 
in the midst of being different, gives you the strength and the joy to carry on. And on this side of the cross, with the coming of Jesus, and the things that he was dealing with in addressing the Pharisees, and even to some extent probably the followers of John, is that there was a mindset that, that, that religious duty was something we did, and the strong temptation to do it with that focus, that people would see how wonderful you are, how spiritual you are. And I'm going to guess we still have that temptation uh, at present among us. And, and the challenge is to say, you know, with the coming of Jesus, the way to God has not changed. It has always been grace. It is always freely offered. All it requires of us is faith, in, belief in Him, and trust that He is who He says He is, and repentance that we've sinned and fallen short of who we ought to be, and that He'll forgive. Right? That's always been the way. But in this time frame when Jesus is ministering on earth, that was lost broadly, especially among the Pharisees. And there's no reason for us to lose it. That we need to work actively to remember who Jesus is. That He is the one who comes in the flesh. God come down to live perfectly the life we couldn't live. To obey completely. Prioritizing the Father always. Even to death on a cross. To take away our sins. To pay the full payment to remain under the power of death so that that weight of sin would be fully paid for, that He rose victorious in just a few days, saying we're forgiven. That all you have to do is put your faith in Jesus, in His life and death and resurrection, to be forgiven. That, that we need to focus on that grace that all of the Old Testament sacrifices were always pointing to, that, that all, of the, all of the longings of the heart of God's people of old are fulfilled in Him. It's the same for us to look back and say, you know what? It's through Jesus who has come that I am accepted, that I am forgiven, that I am loved. And to then approach fasting or not, from that perspective of God loves me, God accepts me, God wants what's best for me. And would fasting right now, giving up something that is good for this season to, to prioritize my relationship with the Lord, would that draw me closer to Him? I think for a lot of you it would. But not for everyone. And so we keep that perspective as we approach this. And I know a lot of folks um, practice Lent in one form or another, give up something. Uh, it could be food during the day. It, you know, it could be uh, video games. It could be uh, candy, whatever it is. Um, as you come to this passage, and maybe you meditate on 
on this passage or Mark or Matthew 6, 16 to 18. Take something with you as you do those things that will remind you that the reason you're fasting is not to show your own self-discipline or even to build your self-control, which, you know, those things aren't bad, but to prioritize your relationship with God and come into it expectantly knowing that you're not earning any favor with God. He's already accepted you through Jesus. Knowing that your good works add nothing to your account. That through Jesus, you're... you're uh, what's, what's that thing called, David, that all the badges are on? That, that, sash. The sash. Your sash is, is like, maybe it's got a couple on it that are good, right? But Jesus is like going to take that sash off of you and give you his sash which has every single merit badge ever known to, to humanity, right? That that's what you've got already. And part of what we do in prioritizing our relationship with God is to embrace that and grow more into who he's making us to be because he's accepted us, because he has forgiven us, because he loves us. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, Thank you for your good work. Thank you, Lord, for coming to this earth for us, accepting us, showing us what it looks like to, to love those who are outcast, taking grief for it, Lord, of, of hearing that question, what's wrong with you? And not backing down, but embracing that differentness, Lord, which has always been the heart of the good news, that you accept us not because of who we are or what we've done, but because you are a God of love and mercy and grace. And you want nothing more than for us to prioritize you, to put you first, to experience the joy that comes in relationship with you, of knowing we're right with you. And we can't earn that. We don't deserve it, Lord. You give it freely. Move in our hearts, Lord, that that's what we would want. Move us if fasting will lead us that way. Move us if giving up something for a season will lead us that way. Move us, Lord, whatever it takes to prioritize you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.